Welcome to the Laura Mayer Podcast. This is a podcast all about learning how to walk in the mental and emotional and relational freedom that Jesus provided for you. I strive to always bring you truths from the Word of God that will liberate you, bring freedom to areas where you've been bound, and bring clarity to things that maybe even now you're walking through. Thanks for joining me. Before we dive into the podcast, I just wanted to uh, put a little plug here that if you're not following me on my social media, go do that today. Go do that now. I'm on Facebook under uh, Laura Mayer, and then also on Instagram, Laura Radway Mayer, and that's R-A-D-W-A-Y, my maiden name. So go find me there. Follow me there. Um... I've started back up my five minute to freedom videos. This is something, this is kind of how a lot of this got started, you guys, if you're not familiar with those. For over a year, probably two years, every Wednesday around car rider line time to go pick up my kids. So around three o'clock in the afternoon, every Wednesday, I would sit in my car, not driving, sitting like in the parking lot or just sitting still in line and share a five minute Facebook live video. Or sometimes I'd record it and then upload it. But it was just a five minute video to bring one nugget of truth, one truth from the word of God that brings a new element of freedom to your life. Because I believe freedom can sometimes feel like, you know, the journey of a thousand steps that you know where you're going, you know how far you've already come, but you continue to learn something new every single day. And the word of God has that effect where it will bring freedom to whatever area you feel bound in. So I'm going to start those back up just because I've had a couple of people ask me and say, we miss those. We're enjoying the podcast, but we really like those little five minute videos too. And, um, I don't know why I thought I had to pick one, but I did for whatever reason. It was like, well, I can either do that or the podcast. So I'm going to do the podcast and that's silly. I can do both. So that's what we're going to do. Um, if you followed us the last, uh, two episodes, I have been in a series and we had a big break in between episode one and two of that series, but about church hurt. This is a topic that honestly, you guys, I was a little nervous about tackling and I've done my best to share um, the heart that I feel like the Lord has given me in this area, but spent the first two weeks, first of all, taking apart how when you've been hurt in church in some way, how it affects your view of God. And so we spent the first episode talking about that. Then last week's episode about how it affects your view of yourself. And I really warred with this third one, you guys, but here goes. Um, this is, I'm going to title this episode beyond church hurt. Let's talk about church abuse. Now, let me go and say this. I know I've said it in the last episode. I love pastors. I love the local church. I believe that pastors are such a blessing. I believe that you need a pastor. I believe that if you don't have one right now, if you're, if you don't have a church home or goodness with all this pandemic stuff going on. If you feel that you don't have a true pastor, pray for the Lord to show you who your pastor is. And then get in that place. Get under his uh, leadership. You will thrive and grow under a true pastor. The same is, you know, children will thrive and grow under true loving parents who know how to instill in them the values and train them up and all the things. So a good godly pastor that is often referred to as a shepherd um, because they model themselves. You know, God models them after the great shepherd, Jesus himself. And a true shepherd, a true pastor, will always model the heart of God. 
And that's why I wanted to tackle that, that whole changing your view of God thing. Because if you didn't go back and listen to that first episode, do that. Because some of you, depending on what you've been taught about God, that he was harsh and mean and always looking to point out your faults and put you on blast and tell everybody where you're terrible, that may be the qualities that you think are normal in a pastor. And there's pastors out there that fit that profile, sad to say. But I wanted to dive into church abuse. Now, I don't take that word abuse lightly. I'm not throwing it around. Um, Abuse, as we're going to define it for this episode, is when church is doing more damage to you than good to you, Um, but that it's intentional, really. No, no, No chuckling, no joking. Intentional hurt, intentional harm to get something from you all the time regardless of if it's for your good or not. So let's let's dive in. I've asked the Lord to help me with this episode because this one is very close to my heart. And um, I just know he's going to give me wisdom on what to share and how to share and go from there because I feel like there's at least one person out, out here listening that needs to know that church abuse does exist. You're walking through something right now and you feel like you're at fault. You feel like you're the bad guy. And because he's a pastor so surely surely he's speaking on God's behalf surely surely you're the one at fault you're the one in the wrong and and you're gaslighting yourself and if you're not familiar with what that term is gaslighting you can google it and look it up there's a very interesting history on it but it's when you see something with your own eyes or you experience something that's real and true and your abuser will convince you that you didn't see that you, you were the one that misinterpreted. How, how could you possibly think that they would say or do something like that? And you start, you believe them. You start questioning yourself. You start thinking you're, you're crazy. You're the crazy one because you thought you saw it. You thought you heard it. But they, sw- they, they flipped so quickly and tried to convince you that, that you're, you're so terrible for even thinking they would do something like that. To where you begin to doubt your own intuition. You begin to doubt your own ability to see things for what they are. And it pulls the rug right out underneath you. And then they have, they have control over every move you make. So there's someone out here listening. And if none of this applies to you, turn it off. It doesn't hurt my feelings. You don't have to listen to this episode. You don't have to listen to any of these episodes. But if this is just for one person, I want you to listen. And I want you to know I'm here for you. And feel free to reach out, shoot me a DM on Instagram, or message me on Facebook, or you can always email me at lauramayorministries at gmail.com. I would be more than happy to talk with you about this, and I mean that, because I um, I am resolute in my decision to never let an ounce of the pain that I've walked through go to waste. And if I can help set somebody else free with my experience, I'll do it. So first, let's dive into what the Word of God says is a good shepherd. You know, shepherds make mistakes. Our pastors are human. Our pastors are carrying such a load right now in these pandemical times and all the all the other things that we have going on in our world. So pastors are not perfect. And just because there's an imperfect pastor doesn't make him an abusive pastor at all. Just because you're not perfect doesn't make you abusive. No, not at all. But but there is a line when there's something more sinister going on. 
And I want to bring you first to this example, and then we're going to go straight to Ezekiel 34. I was once a volunteer um, in a position that worked with minor children, so children under the age of 18, and it was a requirement to take this all-day class learning how to safely work with minor children. And the the biggest focus of this class was, um, number one, they did a background check on, on us to make sure we were safe people, that we um, did not have a history of harming children in any way, or even um, did we experience harm as children so that we could talk through those things and work through those things. And um, But the class focused on how to recognize an unsafe person, how to recognize someone who could be a potential predator on children. Because I learned in this class that predators go where their prey is. That oftentimes places where children are, whether that be, you know, a local indoor play place like we have here in my area, I'm sure those types of places are or everywhere, you know, trampoline parks, things like that, that are indoor. Um, we used to have a place around here called Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know if any of you listeners out there grew up going to Chuck E. Cheese, but it was a, a, a fun place with lots of fun kid arcade games and pizza and things like that. But places where children are would be where predators would naturally go. People that were going to prey on children go where the prey is. And this volunteer program that I was a part of, they were saying, you know, our program is no different. We are not oblivious to the fact that there would be potentially those that would try to sign up to volunteer here because their motives were wrong. And so we want to equip everyone in this room how to spot um, a predator, how to safeguard yourself, how to safeguard the children, how to always work in twos, all of the things so that so that everyone is safe. Because innocent places often attract non-innocent people. Now, does that mean that everybody that works at or, you know, visits one of these child places is a predator? Absolutely not. The largest majority of them are great, normal, fine people. Does it mean that um, people that are drawn to work in a, like a volunteer program that I was in are all predators? No. Um, You know, to be drawn to something like that, you really have a heart for children. You know, teachers have a heart for children. But we've all seen things on the news where there was a teacher who was actually a wolf in uh, sheep's clothing or a predator in teacher's clothing. And so innocent places can often attract non-innocent people. You know, I also think about police officers. You know, there's been um, a lot of things in our news this last year about police officers. I know quite a few good police officers, personally know these men and women, who they felt called to give their life in service to protect the public, to protect, to do no harm, to um, to persecute those who were doing wrong, but to protect the innocent. And that's truly why they got into line, the line of law enforcement. But we know just from watching the news that there are horrible, horrible people who put on that uniform and that badge because they mean harm. These people, in my opinion, are often very power hungry. And so they're drawn to positions where they can feel powerful, which really shows how weak and insecure they are, that they have to exert their power over other people just to feel powerful themselves. 
You know, I believe churches are no different. Churches are supposed to attract broken people that need healing. You know, we all are in need of a Savior. And whatever your, your personal story is, you know, church should be a hospital where people can come to get well. Church should be a place where people can come to serve, where people don't come to judge. People don't come to show off. People truly come to learn more about who they are in Christ. Take that, grow as a person, and then go take that out to the world around them to share the good news that they've received, to share it with others. And so God designed the office of pastor to be the one to preside over these church bodies for the equipping of the saints, you and I, the saints, to go out and do the work of the ministry. But sometimes men and women that are drawn to those positions have ill motives. Does it mean all pastors are bad? No. Does it mean all teachers or children's workers or police officers are bad? No. But you need to know how to recognize the bad ones. Ezekiel 34 verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read that. I'm going to read it in the NIV. And in this passage of scripture in the Old Testament, God is talking about how he will be Israel's shepherd. But I want you to listen for the characteristics of what God is saying here is a good quality in a shepherd. And think about a pastor. And then he comes down so hard on the leaders of Israel who were supposed to be shepherding the people, but instead they brought harm to the people that were under their care. I want you to listen to these verses. Again, I'm in Ezekiel 34 verses 1 through 10 and listen to this through the eyes of looking at a pastor. So starting with verse 1, it says in the NIV, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than the flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. This passage of scripture set my heart free because I walked through several years under a very abusive shepherd 
all the while thinking it was my fault. If I could just be more, if I could give more, if I could submit more, if I could resist less, if I could, if I could just be apparently whatever he wanted me to be that I couldn't figure out what it was because I was trying with everything inside of my little curl heart to be what this man wanted me to be. And he ruled me with an iron fist and he was hateful and he would wait till no one was around to get me in a corner and threaten me and tell me what would happen if I didn't do it his way or go his way. And I didn't know any better. And looking back, it almost doesn't even feel like me. It doesn't feel like me. I feel like looking back at the story of somebody who, a little girl that I used to know. But I know when that girl was rescued supernaturally out of that situation, she was so broken. I was so broken. I was a shell of who I used to be. And and I can see now the Lord's brought so much clarity and understanding to me about why I, it was even able to get to such a place where he controlled every single decision I made. I was so afraid of his anger that he unleashed on a regular basis and then would get in the pulpit and preach about how to walk in love. But it was always how to walk in love towards him or how to submit better, how to be a better sheep. And if you ever spoke up and said anything that was just a different opinion or a different thought on maybe something to do, um, how to handle something within the church, maybe even an area that I was in charge of, you know, and I, I felt like we were supposed to go a certain direction. And if it was anything contrary to him, oh, I paid dearly. And by the end of that situation, I felt like I was the bad one. Very much like an abused wife who's being beaten every day still goes back to him thinking that it was her fault for making him mad in the first place and never turning the responsibility back on him that there is never a reason to abuse a a spouse and there is never a reason for a pastor to control and manipulate and gaslight a young sheep. So it got so bad that I didn't want to live anymore. And I remember one night going and sitting out in a tree about sitting out under a tree in my yard around midnight one night and begging to die, begging for God to take me home. And then I started thinking of ways that I could even end my own life because I could not imagine the pain, the pain of dying being worse than the pain of living. And I felt like I was such a rotten terrible human being that everybody in the world would be so so much better off if I didn't even exist. He started following me me into my dreams. I would dream at night about him coming and abusing me and coming and, and murdering me in gruesome ways in my dreams and me crying out for help to my church leadership and them just looking at me and complying with him because everyone was so afraid to to go against him in any way. And they would just tell me I should submit more. And as I'm laying in a puddle of blood dying, they were telling me I should submit more. And the only way I even got out of that situation, because see, I was a little girl who was still very much looking for the approval of a father figure. Um, I've, I've shared this at at different times and I want to be careful how I share it. I never want to bring dishonor at all to my amazing earthly father But he'll even tell you that when we were little, things, he was still working through a lot 
of things from his childhood. And he brought baggage into his marriage and then into, um, like we all do, into his ability to parent. And so because of that, I grew up missing a lot of the things that I needed as a girl. And um, the approval and love and acceptance of a father figure was very much missing in my life. Well, Satan knew that. And so he knew that I would be a sitting duck, that someone promising those things or at least taking on that role um, somewhat in my life in an, in an odd way um, would be the, could be the very open door to get in and still kill and destroy. Because, you know, I, I'm not ignorant to the fact that the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against every principality and power of darkness. So, it, you know, I do believe that at the root of things, the devil was out to destroy my life using him. And probably, you know, because hurting people hurt people, there were things in his background that allowed where he had given Satan place to start using him as a weapon against other people because of unresolved conflicts and hurts and and wounds. Because that's what happens when you hang on to wounds and bitterness. Sometimes you become the very monster that you hate. So I remember one night or one afternoon, I received a phone call from a ministry that um, I follow. So they will call their ministry partners periodically and just see if there's anything they can pray for us about. And the woman on the other end of the phone that day, I believe was a divine appointment from God. I don't know that I would have ever had the courage to leave this situation because I was covered in so much guilt and shame. I was very much like the story of a young elephant who from the time it's an infant, its owners put a chain and cuff around its ankle and stake it to the ground. And the baby elephant is too weak to pull the stake away. And as the elephant grows and grows and grows, because of in his mind, the stake is stronger than he is. He never attempts to break free. See, his masters had convinced him that that stake was stronger than he was. And that they were the ruler and boss over him, even though that elephant could have stomped all over them. Well, that's who I was. This man controlled so much of my mind that I didn't. Fi- I could not make a decision apart from what from his approval. So we got a phone call that day from that ministry, and they asked, "Was there anything I can pray for?" And of course, I said, "No. Everything's great and wonderful. Of course, I need no help." And because I was just so covered in shame about it. And honestly, asking for help is not my strong suit. And so as we were, she kept pressing. And I know it was the Lord telling her there was more to it than what I was saying. And normally when they call, it's just a very, you know, quick check-in. And, you know, do you need anything? We're here for you. You know, they don't pry. But this woman was on assignment from God to save my life. So she was getting off the phone. She may, she said the phrase, something about, you know, remember that Jesus is Lord. And I just said, well, I'm trying to remember that these days. She said, oh, really? What's going on? I'm so glad she pressed that day. I broke. I broke that day on the phone and started trying to explain what was going on and how sorry I was and how there was nothing I could do right and how... No one would listen and church leadership would not listen because they were all afraid of him too and 
how he treated everyone within the church, but especially um, me at the time. And later I didn't know it, but, but there were others. We were all just too afraid to talk. And she prayed heaven down that day. And one of the things she said was that God heard the cries of his bleeding sheep. I don't know if she meant bleeding with a T, like a sheep, like the noise that a sheep makes, like a cow will moo and a sheep will bleat. But in my mind that day when she said that word, it sounded to me like she said bleeding as though an open wound with pouring blood because that is how it felt and that God saw me. See, I thought God was mad at me because that's what this pastor had convinced me of. That in order for God to be happy with me, I had to submit to him. In order for God to approve of me, I had to do every single thing this man said. Because like I shared in the very first episode of this Church Hurt series, sometimes we confuse someone who represents God in our life with God himself. And that's exactly what I had done. And anytime I would come to him and say, well, I really feel like the Lord's leading me on this. He would flat out tell me I didn't know how to hear from God and that I really needed to go through him. So I did because I needed his approval. When I got off the phone that day, something changed inside of me and I was able to make a plan and leave that situation within the next couple of weeks. And I left with so much shame and I left telling the Lord that we were still friends, but we were going to be friends from a distance because nothing made sense in my life anymore. I thought God was mean and cruel. I thought that I was so unworthy of his love because that's what I'd been told. I'd been told I had started to to volunteer with uh, multiple different ministry areas. And when I left, I was told that I would, it would be seen too that I was never in ministry again because of how terrible I was and how unsubmissive I was. You know, an abuser, a broken person always tries to make you feel like you're the broken one. An abuser will always make you feel like you're the one at fault. And I believed him. And I didn't dare. I didn't dare volunteer for anything for years after that because I knew I was unworthy because that's what he had said about me. It's amazing how negative words that are spoken over you can have so much power for so long. I was out of church for two years because I couldn't walk in the doors of a church without breaking down in tears in the foyer and having to leave or sit in the back row with Kleenexes and be afraid that I looked like a crazy person. But church felt so unsafe. So I stayed home. And I watched some preachers on TV. And I read my Bible some. And really, I just had to get the bleeding to stop. I couldn't get, I couldn't put myself back out there. It, it felt very much like if you're in the ocean and a wave blows over you and And you're underwater and you become disoriented and you start swimming as hard as you can to get back up to oxygen. And maybe you panic while you're swimming because your eyes are closed. The salt water is burning so you can't really see if you're swimming up or down. And gravity feels so weird when you're underwater and you're not sure if you're swimming up or down. And what if you're swimming down and you run out of air and it's, it's too late to get up to the top? That's what my world felt like. I didn't know which way was up. And I remember the Lord speaking to my heart and saying, Okay, Laura, I want you to do something. And it's just amazing I was able to hear him 
because I had distanced myself from him because I had made pleasing this pastor accidentally made the pleasing this pastor more important than keeping up my own relationship with God. And that is one of the points I want to get to. Church never replaces your relationship with God. Your seeking of approval from a man or a woman never replaces your relationship with God or you will be on dangerous ground. Because whatever you get from a human can be taken from a human. If you get your self-worth from a human, it can be taken away by that human. If you get your identity, if you get your vision for your life, if you get your calling. I've seen, you know, people have been told areas that they're called to and maybe their own heart doesn't resonate with that. But because the pastor said it, sure enough, that's probably what I should do. And the pastor has no right controlling anything. He's a shepherd, not a dictator. God should be the only one you seek to please. And out of your relationship with him comes your service in your church. But the Lord spoke to my heart that day and said, Laura, okay, you got a job. Your job is to study every scripture about love. But you're not allowed to study the scriptures about how you're supposed to love everybody else. Those have been crammed down your throat in in a manipulative way. The scriptures have been manipulated and taught in ways that were not biblically accurate. But instead, I was supposed to look up scriptures about how my Heavenly Father felt about me. And so I did. I, I googled and I put them in a Word document. And I read over that list of how my Heavenly Father felt about me. How He loved me with an everlasting love. And none of that was contingent upon how a pastor felt about me. None of that was contingent about how terrible I had been. Because I truly felt like I was. I couldn't tell you what I'd done that was so terrible. I just knew I felt terrible. I knew that, that apparently I was so horrible that I couldn't even see it. That it was so obvious to everybody around me. But I couldn't even see it. The rumors started about why I left. And none of them were true. But no one ever cared to come and ask me what was true. The truth eventually came out like all truth does. But it didn't heal the wounds in my heart. It didn't heal the wounds in my heart until the Lord was able to get me rooted back in a new place with a true shepherd that had the heart of the shepherd. A pastor, not like we see in Ezekiel 34, who only had his sheep for the curds that would come from their milk or the wool that would come from their bodies. Or the lamb chops that would come when he would slaughter them for his own food. Instead of a shepherd that looks at his sheep and only sees what he can get out of them, the Lord brought me to a shepherd who had the heart of the shepherd that just looked at us and said, what can I give to you? You know, the heart of the shepherd, the heart of Father God is not harsh. He is harsh against sin, but he's not harsh against those he loves. Yes, the sin, but he always comes against the sin in a way that brings restoration to you. You know, the Holy Spirit convicts. Conviction draws you up to a higher place. That's how the Lord will bring correction. Satan brings condemnation. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. 1 Corinthians says, condemnation beats you down deeper. The heart of a shepherd is that of a giver. Because the heart of God is love himself and love gives. Love is not self-seeking. Love does not boast. 
Love keeps no record of wrong. Love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love gives all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. Anything else, even if it says it's love, but it's not doing those things, it's not the God kind of love. For God so loved the world that he gave. So I had been the victim of a wolf in shepherd's clothing. And Satan almost won. I almost never got in ministry again. I remember when the Lord started calling me back out of that dark place that I was in and started reawakening the call that he had told me about when I was a child. I ran from it. I was angry. I ran and I was angry and I said, God, I can't do this. Remember, I've disqualified myself. He says, who said? Who said? I said, but... But that that old shepherd said that he would see to it. I was never in ministry again. And God said, you're going to be in disobedience to me. If you continue to live under his words. Don't let Satan win another day. So I want to share with you. If you are walking through something similar. I'm going to tell you the same things. That I wish someone had been there to tell me. I'm going to tell you today. It's not your fault. Whatever it is that's happened, I say to you, it is not your fault. It is never the child's fault to be responsible for what the parent does. It is never the sheep's fault to be responsible for what that shepherd who has been held accountable by God himself to care for the sheep, what he has done to intentionally hurt, harm, or misuse you, or abuse you, or pressure you to do anything you don't want to do, anything that you were forced to go along with was out of survival mode, quit beating yourself up about it. Throw off the shame. There's things sometimes that we humans do to survive. I'm going to tell you to block all contact. The same way I would if there was somebody who was physically abusing you. Block contact. The power balance in your mind is not healthy yet. Do not trust yourself to say, you know, I think I can have that one last conversation with them and explain everything and set their record straight. It doesn't work like that. They're stronger than you right now. Block contact, block on social media, block on your phone, get a new phone number if you need to, get a restraining order if it's necessary. Next, find a supportive circle. Find your safe people that will huddle around you. Find the people, too, that when you're having a day that you feel like you're going crazy, you can call them and say, this is what's going on. This is what my emotions are saying. I'm so wrong. I should go back. I should apologize. I should let you need safe people around you to say, "Uh uh-uh, no, that's not what's going on. You're being triggered. You're you're sliding back into old patterns, old thinking. We're going to surround you. We're going to rally around you and support you. I had to have people that when... When I would have days where I still didn't feel like which way was up, I could say, okay, let me tell you what's going on. And they could tell me which way was up. People that I respected, people that were grounded in the word of God. I didn't have that for a long time. Later, once I opened my heart back up, and this has been a couple of decades worth of healing, that God has surrounded me with people to help me understand things. Next, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. You know, when the Lord told me I should look up every scripture 
about how much my Heavenly Father loves me. I ended up putting that in an ebook that you can get if you visit lauramayer.org. Um, it's my website that I was posting a lot of blog articles on, and um, I'm getting ready to kind of restructure some things on my website. But still, when you visit that website, you'll get a pop-up, and you, there's a place you can punch in your email, and you'll get automatically emailed to you a copy of that ebook. And really what it is, it's just a list of every scripture on love. And then I've written some some kind of uh, direction and some prompts in there for you as well and some places where you can write and, and write down your own reflections. But that came out of my story of church abuse. And I also want you to know that God did not cause this. You know, so many times I would question and say, Lord, why didn't you stop it? How, why, 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 why? And I've learned some things walking with the Lord that if you're ever at a place where there's things you don't understand, it's because there's things you don't understand. At the time, the Lord could not show me all the things that I now understand about unhealed places in my own heart, causing me to be an open target for the enemy. Unhealed wounds. Almost like I was still bleeding from wounds from my childhood and the sharks smelled the blood. But I wasn't ready to understand those things at that point. So whatever your own story is, know that God did not cause this harm that was waged against you. Instead, give it to him and say, Lord, explain it to me at the right time. I want to talk to you really quick about power. Years later, I was still reeling from the pain of this situation. I thought that I'd worked through it, and I had worked through a lot, but more of it was bubbling up because God's so good. He's not going to leave unhealed areas in there as long as you stay submitted to Him in His safe arms of being the great physician. He'll continue to do surgery when it's time to get out that next layer of gunk. And the Lord started talking to me about this person, and He said, Laura, because there were still some very... um unrealistic fears and nightmares that were coming up here decades later and fear of what if I ever ran into them again and the Lord said Lord does this person have true power over you or perceived power I said God I don't even know the difference between those two what are you talking about and he started I was folding clothes that day and he started talking to me and showing me how in order for someone to have true power over you you first have to have perceived power of them. They first have to convince you that they're powerful. They have to get in your psyche. They have to start doing things to make you question yourself, question your own motives. That's where that gaslighting comes in. Convince you that in order for you to go anywhere in life, you gotta, you got to stay with them and that you'll be nothing without them. You'll be nothing without their approval. Don't you know better? Don't you know that they're God's gift to you? And they come at you with that attitude of they're so powerful. And then they will even come with threats. So once you start believing that they're powerful and believing the lies they're feeding you, well, then they've got true power because you've given it to them. But you can take it back the same way the elephant in the beginning of this podcast, he believed that stake was powerful. But any moment that elephant looked at that stake and realized, you know what? The stake in the ground, all in that chain, in the cuff around his ankle, 
All you are is a tiny piece of metal and I've grown bigger than you. You've been lying to me. You're not as powerful and strong over me as you've tried to convince me you are and mock me that you are. And if that elephant would ever pull and use his muscle and pull that metal stake out of the ground, he could run free. And that can be you today. I would recommend professional help is an amazing, amazing thing. I am not a professional counselor, but there are those who are. I would encourage you if it fits your particular situation, instead of letting shame keep you out of a counselor or therapist office, I would encourage you, don't let shame hold you back anymore. Pray for the Lord to show you where to go. Pray for him to surround you with trusted people. I know there's a way out. At the time when I was in the middle of it, I saw no way out. I never thought the sun would shine again. I never thought my life would be worth living. I thought that somehow I had disqualified myself from ever doing anything for the Lord again because I'd fallen in love with God at a young age, but those wounds in my heart had not been healed. So I was still open for attack from the enemy. But I didn't let him have the final say. I didn't let the enemy win. Instead, I started digging into who God says I am. Instead, I learned how to lay things at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, whatever I did wrong or did right, I give it to you. I know there's no condemnation in Christ. I forgive myself for decisions I made out of survival. I forgive myself for the self-hatred that I allowed to grow inside of me. And I forgive myself for letting anybody have that much control over me. And I forgive him. I forgive him because I realize he has no power over me anymore. And I'm not expecting anything from him. You can truly forgive people when you quit expecting them to repay you for anything. He can't repay, but my heavenly father can and has. So that debt's been wiped clean. And now because I've forgiven, there's nothing tying me to him. I want to finish this podcast with a prayer and to also say, I am so sorry for what you've gone through. I'm sorry that they did that to you. I'm sorry that there will not, there weren't people around to protect you. And I'm sorry that those who should have protected you stayed silent. I'm sorry for what they said about you. I'm sorry for the lies that were spread about you. But the one who knows the truth knows the truth about you. Walk in the freedom that he has for you today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me the words to share today on this podcast. I didn't know which way I was supposed to go with this, but I had a peace in my heart to just let you take the wheel. I pray for every single person in the sound of my voice who has been a survivor of church abuse and are no longer afraid to call it what it is that someone who is entrusted to watch over them instead of caring for them abused them only saw them for what they could get out of them and intentionally brought harm father i pray for healing in their heart i know you're the one that can bind up 
their wounds, those that are listening, those that still feel like it's a fresh wound, those that it's been years old, maybe even decades old, but it's still under there and this message has pricked their heart. Lord, I pray for freedom for them. I pray they can breathe again. I thank you for surrounding them with people who can show them who you truly are, the heart of a true shepherd, and that you will bring a good shepherd into their lives. Lord, I thank you that it doesn't matter how broken all the pieces are, that you are the master of putting people back together. And where brokenness once was, healing will reign. Where a bruise once was, just becomes a scar. And a scar is simply proof that death didn't win. That whatever Satan meant to cause harm, it didn't win. It's just a a bruise that healed, a wound that healed. And there's still evidence that it didn't win. Thank you for being the healer of the brokenhearted. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me today on the Laura Mayer Podcast. Join me here next week as we will continue learning that being His means being free.